The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If it's the weekend, it's time to have fun with your pet. But when it comes to technology, apps, and what's hot, you don't want to waste money or waste your or your pet's time. Welcome to Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. In today's show, Lorian and her guests will keep you in the know to keep your pet happy as well as you and your family. Now here's your host, Lorian Clemens. Happy Saturday, pet lovers. Did you know that February is National Cat Health Month? And let's face it, cats don't always get as much publicity as our dog friends. And certainly in my home, our two kitties are not nearly as in your face as our two dogs. But their health is really important to me. Um, But I don't always hear as much out there in uh, the media about what I should be doing for my cats. And I see all the time stuff for dogs. So I'm really excited that today we are going to put the focus fully on cats and dig down into some of the most cutting edge important science that is out there to help us keep our cats healthy and happy. And I am so thrilled to have Dr. Kelly Deal, the science communication liaison from Morris Animal Foundation, here with us today to help us geek out on current feline science. Dr. Deal, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Lorian. It's great to be here. And I'm really pleased that you invited me to come and talk about cat health. Absolutely. And like I said, it's something that doesn't get nearly enough attention. There are more cat pet cats out there than there are dogs out there, but I feel like dogs get attention all the time. So I'm excited that we can put the focus on cats today. I agree. I think our cats have been a little neglected and I'm like yeah. you, I have cats and I've always had cats. And so again, they're, we're learning a lot more about them as interest in cats and people owning more cats has really exploded in the last decade or a couple decades. Yeah, and, and that's a great place for us to start because I want to begin the conversation about environment. So specifically, you know, I was interested when I was looking at some of the science, it's recent stuff is showing us that they're not fully domesticated, unlike dogs. And so a a lot of things that we set up for our cats, particularly our indoor cats, are not necessarily the best for their ongoing health. So I want to start with that first piece and, and talk about that. Okay, and I agree with you. I think for a long time, as people began to interact more with cats, we had them outside. They lived outside. Mm -hmm. They started to migrate indoors. And now, you know, it's a general recommendation by a lot of us veterinarians that our cats remain mostly indoor cats, right? Right. There's lots of dangers out there. So if they're coming indoors, how can we make that the very best space? for them because what we're learning is if our cats are not happy they can get into mischief that yeah. we really don't want them to to engage in and so a lot of cat behaviorists got together and they came up with what they called the five pillars 
of a healthy feline environment. And again, this is in indoor cats. Part of this research was done to address the needs of shelter cats. And we know that unfortunately, a lot of cats end up in our cat shelters for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to try to enhance and enrich their environment. So they came up with these five pillars. Right. And, and, and I, I, what I think is fascinating about these five pillars is that a lot of it seems like, well, yeah, of course, but it's also not stuff that I'm personally actively doing. Some I am, but some I'm not. Right. And I think I have to say, as one of our researchers said, when I uh, contacted her and said, gosh, I don't do this. She goes, well, you're not the only one. There are a lot of red faces out there. And I agree with you, Lori. And a lot of this seems common sense. But the concept is these aren't just optional. These are really needed by our indoor cats. Okay, great. So let's let's start. So the first one is to provide multiple and separated key environmental resources without competition. Explain what that means. Okay, that's a pretty fancy way of saying our cats really need separate areas, so separate litter pans or multiple litter pans, multiple food bowls, multiple water area bowls, Areas where they can each find a place, especially in a multi-cat household, to sleep where they can be undisturbed. So I think, uh, you know, a very obvious problem is I'm sure a lot of us feed our cats. We put dry food down in a bowl and they're all eating out of it. Well, that's really not the best practice. We should probably have multiple areas and multiple bowls for them to feed on their own. And the basis of that is that, as we know, our Wild cats tend to be pretty solitary. We know some cats come together, lions being a good example, but I think all of us know that a lot of our wild cats live very individual lives. And so this idea of competition is actually stressful. And they may see even simply sharing a water bowl as being a competitive situation, and that gives stress to our cats. And, 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 and also kind of to tie into that is that need for privacy, for them to be able to do things quite quietly and on their own. Right. And that ties in with another pillar, right, which is provide them a safe place to be. So we've all seen those big cat towers, right? And cats can climb up. Uh, if your cats are like my cats when I was growing up and even now, where do they go? They like to sit on the back of the sofa or on the back of your chair, right? They like that high perch. Well, they're just naturally acting out what they would do in the wild, which is find an isolated high spot. Sometimes if you've had cats, you know they love an empty box. They will find an empty box and flip around and hide in it. That's another actually safe place. They see that as a safe spot. Yeah, it is their, it is their favorite toy. The, the box that the cat bed came in is a more favorite place than the actual cat bed. Exactly. <laughs> now, um, this one I think is really, really key, and it's also will tie into our last guest um, who's going to be talking about feeding, but provide opportunity for play and predatory behavior. Talk to us about that. Right. And that's another one of the pillars. And I think it's one we neglect, particularly in our adult cats. I can tell you that I think we think of kittens, right, as being very active. How I 
you know, how many times have we tied a piece of paper to a string and dragged it around the house, right? And they jump at it. We give them little feather toys. We give them a lot of toys are out there with springs. And I think we tend to give them to our kittens, but we're neglecting the fact that our older cats apparently also need that kind of stimulation. And again, it feeds back to what do cats do in the wild? They're very predatory. They spend a lot of time exhibiting hunting behaviors, not all the time successful, but that is a significant part of what they do during their day. And so when we deprive our older cats of that stimulation, as well as, of course, provide young cats with that stimulation, we're actually doing our cats a great disservice when we don't engage in that kind of behavior or give them opportunities for that. Yeah, and I think that that to me is key. That you know, that one I, we have two cats that are over the age of 13 and they're, you know, we're saying, "Oh, they're starting to slow down." So we aren't actually getting out the toys as much as we did say 4 or 5 years ago. And I right. think we attribute it to, "Oh, they're getting old, so they just want to lay around all the time." But that's not true. Right, exactly. Get those laser pointers out. Even for your elderly cats, it seems to be very uh, important for their emotional well-being. And again, to let them have an ability to act out these behaviors that are normal for them in the wild. Awesome. So, and that kind of uh, goes a little bit towards this next thing. So, about providing positive, consistent, predictable human-cat interactions, because so many people, they'll talk about how solitary their cats are. Oh, you'll, I, you barely even know they exist. I could be gone for days, and they don't even know I was gone. But that's really bogus. <laughs> um, and that cat, that need for that cat-human uh, bond is really important for health. Right. And I think that was one that surprised me a little bit in that they actually need it for their health. Now, I have a cat that will jump up on your lap. And I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who have that kind of cat, right, that sits on your lap and you pat them. Well, that's really, really important in, again, strengthening that bond between us and our cats. And again, the idea is that you're trying to alleviate unwanted behaviors, which can be, for example, a soiling behavior, which in some cats is their way of trying to get your attention. Well, that's not a very productive way to get us to pay attention to them, but it's sort of their cry for help. So again, very productive interactions where you are holding them. Of course, let them come to you. Don't force that interaction, but those are really important and should be every day. And can we talk a little, I want to dig a little bit more into that, that bond because some of us are, are have older cats that maybe aren't you know uh as uh, social as uh, you're we're talking about right now but if, if let's say that we've got a, a young cat what are some things that a pet parent can do with that young maybe even kitten cat to kind of set up those relate that relationship that bond i think that uh, there's been some suggestions that are out there that are things that you can do to start setting that stuff up Right. One of them is playing with them, right? So there you're hitting a couple of those pillars. You're, you're allowing them to exhibit their predatory behaviors, but you're also interacting with them. So I think playing with your kitten is really important. I think also not, again, forcing interactions. I think all of us have brought home cats I have that maybe for the first day or so they're exploring they're not wanting to come up to you too much or they're very timid and maybe they come up and they jump up on your lap definitely don't force them to do that but with kittens you know they're much more curious so again interacting with them patting them 
playing with them and then they see you as a compadre as a friend that is just like there are other another kitten so and I think it's important even when we adopt multiple cats I think it's a common thought that oh well they'll play together right they'll keep each other company and while they will do that they still need to interact with us and we should still be interacting with those kittens yeah, and I, I have to tell you a little story. My uh, my husband, actually, when he gets a new cat, and he's he's really the cat guy in the house, but he has this whole ritual that he does when he gets a new cat, whether it be a kitten or an older cat, that involves, you know, letting them have some isolated space away from everybody else, but then he'll go and just sit in the room and let them come to him and, and, and play with them. And then he has this thing that he does with gently clipping their nails while caressing them and, and, you know, giving them a little foot massage. And what happens is, is that you'll get cats that will actually come to him and roll over on their backs and like put up their paws and be like, Hey, can you clip my nails for me? And it's incredible because I've never seen it before. That's really impressive because I think it, that's an area a lot of cats resent, but I think your husband gives a very good example of how we can have very positive interactions, even with shy kitties. And we need to interact with them in their own space, but we can't ignore them and think, oh, well, they just don't want us around at all. Right. Yeah, right. totally. So the, the, now the last one, <laughs> which is something that I went, oh, yeah, this, this is one that made me go, oh, darn it. I guess I do have to do this, is to provide an environment that respects the importance of a importance of a cat's sense of smell. And this is really kind of critical because I have a lot of olfactory triggers myself and that pet cat related odor that's always in the house, it, it really bugs me. So I have done a lot in the past, you know, to try to hide that smell or to get rid of that smell. And it we saw it created huge behavior issues with uh, my husband's cats. So talk a little bit about that. Right. And I think we understand that cats are really olfactory, again, smell driven. But I had I had the same uh, experience as you. I tend to, uh, one of the things that was mentioned in one of the articles that describes some of these is, and we've all seen it, right? That kind of dirty area where our cats rub up against a corner of a wall, right? Well, what do we do? We run over and we clean it. Yeah. And maybe we clean <laughs> yeah. it with a disinfectant, right? Because, yeah. oh, it's brownish stuff. Well, one of the things we should do is probably allow some of that to exist. Maybe not where our company sees it, but we should not be so aggressive in cleaning it and certainly not clean it with anything that's a disinfectant that's going to have an odor. I think the scented litters is something that was is very important. A lot of people buy scented litter in order to mask, right, mm -hmm. these smells. And probably not the best idea for our cats and how they behave. So that's another thing that we need to be aware of. I think just using a lot of scents in our houses, using a lot of cleaners that have a heavy scent really disrupts them in their, because they communicate with each other. They try to communicate with us that way. And we're just disrupting that whole environment all the time. Every time we go and clean or we put a perfume in. And as you've experienced, and I can say not in my household, but my parents have a lot of cats. When they did that, then they got into more unwanted behaviors like spraying mm -hmm. or marking because it's like, okay, well, you're taking away the sense I'm going to get, you know, up the ante a little bit on how I'm going to market. Some 
a commercial products, you know, there are pheromones you can plug into your wall. That can help. We can't smell them, but the cats do. And sometimes that can help provide a, a better environment for them olfactory. But I think just being really aware about when we put our perfumes into their space, we're really disrupting them. Awesome. So now just to kind of like wrap this all together with these five pillars, if you're talking to a, a, a new pet parent or even a pet parent that's got some older cats, um, just some basic things that they can take away that they should be doing when they're looking at the environment that they're setting up for their cat. Right. So a couple things would be, again, the multiple resources. So multiple water bowls, multiple food bowls, and in places where the cats can't be disturbed while they're eating. So they can find a separate place, even if it's their best buddy in the world, having different areas are helpful. And I would definitely tell people that. And for sure, when I was in practice, multiple cat pans are just essential. So making sure that you can provide a place with and that you have the resources and the house space to be able to provide those. They're really crucial. Again, a safe place to hide, a safe place, a perch in some way, or don't shoo your cat always right off of some of the furniture. Definitely the scents. Be very, very, very careful about how you're cleaning the areas that the cats frequent. Unscented litter, I think, is a one that we should all be doing. Another is, again, and you can knock two pillars off at one time, which is every day interacting in a positive way with your cat, whether that's the old cat that's sitting on your lap and petting, or the kittens, or even older cats that you're playing with. That interaction every day is really important. And I realize we're busy people. We live busy lives. It's very easy to over or overlook it. I agree with you. I think we tend to think of cats as being very solitary. Oh, they won't mind if I don't do this. Well, we now know they really do mind. So if people wanted to find more information out about the five pillars and uh, all of that, where should they go? Um, a really good place is the... The American Association of Feline Practitioners, so that's AAFP, and the International Society of Feline Medicine, ISFM, their websites have these available to you, and they will also link you to some very extensive articles. They were the two organizations that actually published these pillars. So they're very excellent sources. Awesome. That is just awesome. Well, hang tight, my fellow pet lover geeks, because we are going to be back with more of Dr. Kelly Deal's incredible insight on Pet Lover Geek in just a moment. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at 1 866 472 5788. Again, that's 1 866 472 5788. Feeling shy? You can also send an email to petlovergeek at gmail.com. Now, Back to the show. And we are back with Dr. Kelly Deal from Morris Animal Foundation to talk about National Cat Health Month. A little bit of background first before we continue about Morris Animal Foundation because I really want you to know about these incredible people. Just in case you're not familiar with them, Morris Animal Foundation is a global leader in supporting scientific research that advances veterinary medicine. And since they were founded, they have invested over $113 million towards over 25 500 studies. And all of these studies are working to improve the health and quality of life for not just dogs and cats, but also horses and wildlife internationally. Since 1950, the Morris Animal Foundation has provided funding to improve cat health more than any other organization in the U.S. And they've done studies on nutrition, general health, and and new frontiers today in infectious diseases, cancer research, and they're devoted to helping support studies that address distinct health issues that um, affect our feline companions. And we're going to talk about some of those right now with Dr. Deal. Now, Dr. Deal, I looked at uh, the 2016 feline report just to kind of see what you guys were up to last year. And, oh, my goodness, there is tons of amazing work going on. Yes. So we are one of the largest, as you mentioned, funders of uh, specifically feline-oriented studies in the United States and in the world. So we have had, since 1950, as you mentioned, a lot of studies that are specific to feline health concerns. And that makes us really unique. Yeah, and I I, I was reading the report was just like, wow, there's so much (laughs) going on. And we only have a little bit of time, so let's just jump right in. Uh, Talk first about the work that was done last year about new approaches to treat feline cancer. Yeah, absolutely. So feline cancer is one of our funding areas, and obviously it's a big concern for our any cat owner out there. And one study that was particularly exciting that we're waiting to hear the results, it's in progress right now, is a study that looks at the uh, specifically removal of tumors when you're in surgery. So that's always a big challenge, even for a very experienced surgeon, right? You go in there, you've got a tumor, a cancerous growth, you're trying to get it out of there. And how do you know when you have reach normal tissue, right? You get it all out of there because we know that even just a few cells left in a tumor bed 
can grow back very quickly. And one particular problem, and I know that the cat owners out there will understand this, is something called injection site sarcomas. And this is a malignant tumor that arises when a cat has an inappropriate inflammatory response against an injection. Most commonly, of course, vaccines, because that's the most common injections we give our cats, right, on a routine basis. But it can happen against other injections as well. And what happens is these cells transform, they become malignant. These are really tough tumors. They embed, they have fingers that kind of dive down into normal tissue. Surgery is very, very helpful and sometimes can be curative. But if you don't know and whether you've gotten all the tumor out and a few cells are left, they can grow back. So we have a very exciting study at the University of Illinois where they're using a brand new device. It's used in women with breast cancer. Again, same idea. Can we have we gotten all the tumor out when we you when we do surgery? And this device, for lack of a better description, it's like a really cool ultrasound machine. So the surgeon can take this machine after he's scooped out everything that he thinks is abnormal tissue and look with this machine and it is so fine it can detect just very minimal disease if it's left or not and if they see something and again it's right in surgery it doesn't take long they can go oh we need to do it a little bit more over here and we're very excited about this because we know that if we can get these particular type of tumors surgically removed the first time around where we do a really good job removing the, the tumor, not only do we have a chance at curing these patients, but we can give them a very long disease-free interval. And our preliminary results are really promising on that one. Oh, that's exciting. I, you know, I love one of the things that this show actually talks about a lot. And I just love is when we take the tech that we are using to improve our human lives and use it for our pets. I just think that that's incredible. So that that's really exciting. Yeah, we're really excited about that one. Awesome. And, and there's another uh, funded research that you did last year about um, developing new treatments for infectious diseases of felines. Can you talk about that? Sure. We obviously infectious diseases in cats have been, again, a big focus of us for us over the years. We did some of the preliminary work that led to the first feline leukemia virus vaccine. So that was uh, almost 50 years ago now, which is amazing. We've done a lot of work on some of the respiratory viruses, but one that we're particularly excited and proud of is work on feline infectious peritonitis, which is a 100% fatal disease of cats if they start showing signs of this infection. It is a form of, it's a disease that arises from a very common intestinal virus. So almost like an intestinal virus that we get, but in some cats, this virus mutates into this fatal virus, which tends to affect young cats. Unfortunately, it is related to their genetics and immune system, but it is, again, and we had no treatments. People have been looking at this for nearly 40, 50 years. How can we help these cats? And for the first time, we have a breakthrough in a very promising blocking agent, which if given to cats with FIP for the first time we've seen what appear to be cures, we have cats that are out over a year that are still disease free. This is absolutely amazing. That was in the first arm of the trial, which was, you know, kind of in a laboratory, more of experimental. We now have a study where we're looking at cats that are coming from shelters. So these are cats that are, you know, our cats, the 
cats that we adopt from shelters, the cats that live in our communities, and we're seeing some promising results in a field trial of this same agent. So we're super excited about what this could mean in the future. Feline infectious peritonitis is also a coronavirus. We probably have all heard about coronaviruses because they also affect people. And again, finding an agent that could stop 100% fatal disease is just phenomenal. That, that, oh gosh, I get chills listening to that because I actually know people who, you know, do foster for FIP cats and it's a death sentence and it's so sad and it's just traumatic. But wow, to have something that might potentially cure it. Right. It's amazing. And this is, we had a collaboration between Kansas State University where they did the original Wichita State and now the University of California, Davis, Dr. Niels Peterson, one of the premier virologists, veterinary virologists in the world, he's conducting the actual clinical trial. That's incredible. Oh, I can't wait to hear. <laughs> I can't wait to see how that one goes. Um, now, there was another one, another critically important one, which I believe also brings in, again, a human-based treatment uh, to apply it to cats, and that's about the safety of drugs used to treat blood clots in cats. Right, and that's a benefit definitely that we in veterinary medicine are gaining from our human counterparts. As you know, people have problems with strokes, and there are a lot of anticoagulants. People often say blood thinners, right, out there for us that we hope we can use in cats. And cats get heart disease that can predispose them to blood clots. I don't like to use the word stroke because it's not the same as a stroke in people, but very bad blood clots. And so there's been effort in the last decade, and Morris has funded a lot of research, looking at how can we use some of these great anticoagulants that are arising in human medicine, can we apply them to cats? Because they have very similar sort of outcomes, the disease is somewhat similar. So we've looked at clopidogrel, which people know as Plavix, and looked at that compared to aspirin. You know, a lot of people take baby aspirin, right, every day if they're at a stroke risk. How did those compare? And clopidogrel, Plavix, works quite nicely in our cats. So that's a drug that we can now add to our pharmacy to use in our cats very safely. We're currently looking at Rivaroxaban, which is Xeralto for people who use that drug as an anticoagulant. We have a study looking at that compared to Plavix. So now we're going to the next level, which is we're able to compare different types of anticoagulants and see how they work, not only in treatment, but really in prevention. So our some of our studies looked at cats. They already had a clot problem. They already have heart disease. We know they're at risk. Can these drugs improve their outcomes? And the, so far, they're still, this is uh, at University of Georgia, they're enrolling cats right now who've had heart disease, who've had a clot, and that's still in progress to kind of compare clopidogrel versus Xeralto. But the previous study did show some benefits to using Plavix. It's entering the mainstream in veterinary medicine, which is super exciting. Oh, that's awesome. What, what other, and I know that you have, there's a long list of studies that are, that are there in that report. So what other studies are standouts that you think people are going to be really excited about? Well, we're looking at, again, kind of as an adjunct to the study that I just mentioned where we talked about the anticoagulants, there is a lot of interest in looking at the genetic basis of diseases, right? We know, for example, in women, if we, we can get tested to see if we have a certain 
gene right that predisposes us to cancer can we do the same in animals and there's a study going on looking at looking at the genetics of again heart disease in cats could we identify individuals at risk could we identify carrier individuals, right, that we can say, okay, we need to really watch this cat more closely. So we're doing some research in that right now. Um, we are not doing as much shelter research, but we've finished some on behavior where we've looked at, again, what's best for cats when they're in a shelter situation, reducing stress, um, I think that's probably some of the highlights that I get to give. We're doing one on oral cancer in cats right now through the University of Minnesota where they're looking at oral cancer in cats can be particularly devastating. It's a squamous cell carcinoma, which is the same kind of cancer people get who smoke, right? And they get mm -hmm. sometimes oral cancers. As you people know, they can be very devastating. They don't always spread very quickly, but if they're, you know, locally invasive, people get in in their jaw, right? Their tongue can be really, really traumatic. Cats get the same and often they can't eat anymore. They're really painful. So we've done, we're doing some studies looking at can we find a new target for this disease? It's a, a type of cancer in cats that's just really resistant to a lot of radiation or chemotherapy. And so we're looking at different ways to, to look at that. We're looking at some of the genetics behind infectious diseases, why some cats get infectious diseases and others do not. We talked about FIP, but actually that has bearing in some of our other infectious diseases. So we're actually looking at how cat immune systems work because they are different beasts as we all know, mm -hmm. and their immune systems are actually different. You know, they are not, as we said, small dogs. They are really unique creatures. I, I'm fascinated by the, just the breadth of studies that are done by animal, uh, by Morris Animal Foundation. Can you give us just a little insight on, you know, the, what's the, the criteria? How do you guys decide what you're going to study next? Well, it that's a good question. A lot of it is driven by what, kind of grants come into us, right? So we put out a call for proposals and we'll say, okay, canine and feline researchers, send us your best and brightest and most innovative ideas. And they will send them into us. So sometimes the researchers out in the field will see a need and they'll go, you know, this is an emerging problem or boy, we see a lot of this and they'll send it into us. We evaluate them. We have a scientific advisory board that we have some of the best minds in veterinary medicine come together. They carefully review these projects, and then we rank them based on merit, based on how we think they'll move a needle for us, right, in animal health. The sad fact is we turn, I think we only funded 15% of our canine and feline grants last year because... That's the nature, as you know, of healthcare funding, even for veterinary medicine. We just would love to fund. We have great proposals come in, but we can't, we can't um, fund all of them. And so we're looking for new ways to maybe prioritize. We are always looking for more funding so we can um, <laughs> yes. you know, uh, do more of these studies because we really do get such fantastic studies and it's really a shame when we have to turn some of our researchers and these are I mean these are global we fund research 
all over the world and they're really great researchers and again we often have to turn them down because we just don't have enough funds yeah well and and to that end let's let's wrap this up by telling people how they can find out more about the morris animal foundation and more importantly how they can help the morris animal foundation right the best place to go is our website which is morrisanimalfoundation.org and if you look up morris animal foundation you'll you know, uh, if you Google us, we'll come up. And on our website, it'll talk about different ways to donate. It has a very more complete listing of what we're funding right now. And so not only can you take a peek at the feline studies, but our canine studies, our equine studies, and our wildlife. We're one of the largest and only sources of funding for wildlife health issues as well, which a lot of our small animal donors don't even know that we do wildlife, but we we fund a lot of areas where there's just a need, where there's just a gap in where you can get funding. Yeah, and a lot of stuff too that you discover in one species actually is going to bleed over into stuff that you can discover about other species too, for sure. So th- right. thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Deal. It's been really incredible. Really appreciate you uh, coming in today to talk to us. I really appreciate it, Lori, and thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk to your listeners. This was really fun. Awesome. Thank you again. Everybody, just sit, stay, and we are going to be back momentarily, and we're going to talk about the science that shows how you feed your cat is even more important than what you feed your cat. Stay tuned. That's what's next on Pet Lover Geek. News, opinion, Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We're back, pet lovers, for the final segment of today's Pet Lover Geek. 
We're spending the morning chatting about the latest science on cats. And our next guest, Dr. Liz Bales, is a veterinarian who took a a look at the research that was out there. And she realized that how we feed our indoor cats is all wrong. So she's been helping cat moms and dads ditch the bowl and start feeding cats in a better way. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bales. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to get to chat with you today about the Noble system. But uh, before we get into uh, the the invention of the Noble system, I want to first talk about the background, that science that uh, led you to create the Noble system. We were talking earlier on the show with Dr. Deal about the five pillars of cat health and how critical environment and things like encouraging play and, and encouraging that hunting behavior were essential to helping your cat live a healthy and happy Happy life, and that is pretty much the cornerstone of what Noble addresses. So, I would love it if you could talk about the the seeking circuit and why cats simply need to hunt for their food. Well, I'm so happy to be here because cats and geeks are a perfect combination. There's so much great science right right now available, um, and so I'm excited to dig in. So, the seeking circuit is a series of behaviors that cats will perform in nature in in the proper sequence. So they hunt, catch their prey, play with their prey, then eat, groom, and sleep. And that circuit goes on and on 24 hours a day. They are neither uh, all day or all night creature. It's a 24-hour day circuit. Um, There's a lot of interesting research about cat sleep. um, And I sent over a blog that I'm sure you guys are going to put up uh, about what that sleep is about. And the sleep is about preparing for the hunt. Essentially, in nature, a cat's entire existence is around the hunt. They are an exquisite predator. So they hunt, catch their prey, play with their prey, eat, groom, and sleep. And they they do that all day and all night. So when we bring them inside, we've taken all of that away. And we feed them from a bowl. And they are not able to meet any of their natural predatory instincts and those very strong innate urges. Mm -hmm. And so those urges get expressed in ways that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, they become food obsessed since they don't have a way to direct that anxiety and that need. Mm-hmm. Food obsessed and obesity is really common. Right. Uh, scarf and barf is really common. It's kind of a funny way of saying that they eat more than their stomach can hold and then puke it up on your kitchen floor or somewhere worse. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's it's always the carpet for us, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and I, I actually, that scarf and barf was a big deal for me when I read that because I, admittedly, I, I was looking at the, your website and everything and, and I went in and my husband and I have been talking about it beforehand and we have cats all of our lives. They've always been really healthy and, and clearly happy, come up and purring all the time and feeling like, oh, there's not really an issue. But it was when I was reading about those behaviors that bull feeding might be uh, causing, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I didn't realize that my cats had those behaviors. So keep talking about that. Those, those behaviors that, well, th- you know, it's just a cat thing. It's actually maybe something not cool that's, that's caused by bowl feeding. Yeah. So you have hit on exactly it. As a cat lover and caretaker, we have accepted as normal cat ownership so many behaviors that we don't exactly love, and you can't imagine are that great for the cat, like obesity, which now almost 60% of cats in America are overweight or obese, which is horrible. 
It's really, it's not just horrible, it's really dangerous. Yeah. They're, they're almost three times more likely to pass away at any age than a, than a, than a healthy weight cat, four times more likely to develop diabetes. I mean, this is serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the scary part about that, Lorian, is that only 10% of people with an overweight cat know it. Mm-hmm. We think they're cute and they're healthy. So the, all these things that we, we've accepted as normal for cats actually isn't. Mm-hmm. So obesity is not normal. V- vomiting up undigested food right after eating is not normal. Um, sleeping all day is not normal. Cats do sleep a lot. 15, 16 hours a day is normal, but 22 hours a day is not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, being destructive is uh, either of, of you know, cats mark and they do lots of normal behaviors, but uh, being destructive and aggressive is an, an undesirable way of taking out this anxiety that they have from not being able to hunt. In addition, waking us up in the middle of the night. Many, many, many people are used to being nudged. We call them night nudgers, three, four, five in the morning, and they'll get us out of bed and and have us uh, over to the food dish. And when you understand the natural feeding behaviors of cats, they're they're doing what nature meant them to do. Mm -hmm. They want small, frequent meals throughout the 24-hour period. They're designed to exercise and have an ability to not just roam and seek their food. When they find it, they need to express that predatory instinct in conjunction with eating. So either that's either that is the pounce and the kill or some sort of interaction, and then a small meal, more like a tablespoon to two tablespoons, multiple times throughout the 24-hour period. So when you think about what, what you had on your carpet, the scarf and barf, about the size of a ping pong ball is more a normal portion for a cat. If you think about a mouse or a bird, what they can actually eat and consume from that is about one to two tablespoons. That's a normal meal for a cat multiple times in the 24-hour period, not a big bowl of food like you or I eat you know, right. at lunch dinner that we have a big bowl of food at one time. That's a human behavior. That's not a natural cat behavior. Right. And we'll- we can redirect ourselves and start feeding cats like cats, those negative behaviors start to drift away. Okay, so that that perfect segue, man, it's like it's like you read my mind here. This is a perfect segue to let's talk about that actual system then that you've developed with the noble um, system. Tell us how it actually works and what it is. <laughs> so we start with the science. We know we need to seek our prey. We gotta make a hide and seek game here. We know we need to be able to enact our predatory instinct at mealtime. So we need to be able to use our claws and teeth and paws and face in the hunt. Then we know we need multiple small frequent meals throughout the 24-hour period. So I, I took those criteria and tried to figure out a way that we could use that with the dry food or treats that we're feeding now. So the no-bowl feeding system is is five mouse-shaped pods. Inside is a plastic container where the food is held, and it's, it's enveloped by a soft fabric mouse. So your cat can use its claws and teeth to manipulate the noble or just push it with its face or paw, but they have the opportunity. You know, solid plastic doesn't give them the opportunity to engage all of their resources if they want to. So that's why that fabric skin is on there. And most cats really appreciate that. So there's five of them. So you measure the dry food or treats. If you're feeding wet, you can do this with a very small amount of food split between the five. So you measure whatever dry food or treat you're feeding, split it between the five, and then you hide them. 
So in nature, cats are going to spend about 60 to 80% of their waking hours seeking food. When you think about it from a human perspective, it's like if someone had hid my lunch, I'd probably be thinner, but I'd be really annoyed. Cats are actually... <laughs> Sorry. Cats actually want to seek their food. That's no. how nature made them. Yeah. And it's also their built-in exercise. So when we when we take that all away, that's another big contributor to obesity. So hiding the noble is a really big part of it. So they need to seek the noble, then they'll find it, then they manipulate it and roll it around to get the food out, and then they eat that small portion, and there's five of them. So they get at least five hunting opportunities per cat per day. Okay, so that's perfect. So I was going to ask too, you know, what if you've got uh, multiple kitties? Because we have two in our house. So how does the system work there? So before we'll talk about how it works, let's talk about what's normal for multi-cat households. Okay. So in nature, cats can live in social groups very well. But when they hunt and eat, they do it alone. So they'll leave the colony and go hunt and eat alone. So cats are what we call solitary hunters. So in your cat household, when you, when cats are asked to share a food dish, that's actually very stressful for them. They don't have great, cats don't have great ways of showing us their stress other than things that are extreme like vomiting and urinating outside the litter box and mm-hmm. being aggressive. But that is actually very stressful for them to share a common resource. So with the noble feeding system, we say one kit per cat. So each cat has those five hunting opportunities during the day. And then there are multiple and separate resources. That's the the doctor catchphrase for how to make a multi-cat household happy. So that each cat has those multiple and separate opportunities to hunt. Now, in in most houses, people can just split that food, split it between, in your case, 10 nobles and hide them. And the cat's are happier, they're healthier, there's less intercat conflict, so fights simply. Mm-hmm. Um, in some houses, one cat will hunt faster than another. Mm-hmm. Or you could have cat households where they're on separate foods that they need to be different. And in those households, you gotta find a way to shut a door somewhere, somehow, then we need to keep those cats separate for at least some part of their day to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, But cats are solitary hunters. They actually want in their nature to be alone to do this behavior. So although it's hard for us to understand because we are so communal. Humans can't stand to eat alone. We do everything we can to have a party and a meal. But that just isn't the way that cats are built. They're solitary hunters. And it's not the way our dogs are built either. Our dogs actually, if we're not in the room, they'll bring kibble in their mouth into the room where we are to eat with us. That's right. That's right. Cat, dogs are also communal animals and communal eaters, but, but cats aren't. Yeah. And, and we now this great body of science is coming out to show us that cats are not small dogs and they're certainly not little people. Mm-hmm. And when we understand those needs of the cat and can start providing for them, things get a whole lot better for the cat. Now, I should say there's a little bit of a transit. I call it the transition protocol. Just because this is natural for the cat, we've then conditioned them to eat from a bowl. We've conditioned them to think of us as automatic food dispensers with never ending treats and big bowls of food. So there is a gradual weaning off of the bowl onto the hunt. And all that is described in the in the package insert for the noble and on the website if you want to learn more about it. Well, good, because I was going to actually ask specifically about that. I mean, we've got older cats. Cats are both of our kitties are over 12 years old. And frankly, every time we change anything, they get all cranky with us. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, you know, they're, they seem to be creatures of habit, but 
Do older cats take well to this? Yes. So it's actually even more important for older cats. They need mental engagement as we age, just like people, you know, use it or lose it. Mm -hmm. And we're not asking anything of these cats to be able to engage their mind or their bodies. So it's wonderful for older cats to be able to have all of these resources with the noble feeding system. But like I said, we've conditioned them over a lifetime to expect a certain way of feeding. Mm -hmm. So you want to do the transition even more gradually. It is not a race. You know, you could take three or four weeks to transition them over onto the noble where you you start with the, the there's a, a trainer in your kit, which is does not have the fabric on the outside and there's lots of holes. So all it has to do is get a little nudge and mm-hmm. the food comes out. So for your cats, I would spend a long time with the trainer before moving on and just expect them to take more time and go through the process more gradually. It's great for cats of all ages. In fact, we even have blind cats that now can interact with their environment with the noble feeding system. If a blind cat can do it, your cat can do it. But what we need to do is just be patient. The human needs to be patient and go through the transition process over many days to weeks and not expect it to take, you know, one hour on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, a lot of this is about retraining humans to think differently. And to that end, I mean, there, I'm sure that there are folks that are listening that are still not convinced. And but but because they're geeks, they're going to be research people. So and your site has incredible resources. So which specific articles should would they look at? Because you've got a bunch listed there. If they wanted to know, okay, this article is really going to show me the science behind why I should be doing this. So there's a couple of great ones. One of my favorite is it just a simple infographic, because sometimes less is more, mm-hmm. by Dr. Margie Sherrick, um, talking about the calorie content of a mouse as it pertains to the calorie content of dry food and the multiple small frequent meal importance. Um, the Pet Obesity Council is another great resource um, for understanding obesity in our cats. And to understand all of what's going on with our cats, the American Association of Feline Practitioners has put out a position statement on feline environmental enrichment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a much more all-encompassing um, article, not just hunting and, and interacting, but, you know, litter boxes and scratching posts and all that good stuff. Right. Um, but also on my blog, on the website, there's a blog called The Cat Vacate. And I break it down uh, system by system on the cat vacate in a way that's really easy to, to grab hold of. Awesome. Yeah. And I think what you're alluding to is just what Dr. Deal was just talking about with those five pillars of cat health and, their, and how it pertains to their environment. So that's perfect. So tell us today, one, real quick, where people can get the Noble system for their cats. So you can ask your veterinarian, but if your veterinarian isn't carrying it yet, you can get it at www.nobowlcat.com, N-O-B-O-W-L-C-A-T.com. And there's tons of, of the science on the website for Noble Cat, and also the, there's a link to the blog there so you can get some more information as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in today and talking with us, Dr. Vales. It's been a real pleasure. Like I said, cats and geeks are a perfect combination. I, I think I'm a cat geek myself. So awesome. it's been great. <laughs> thanks again. And thanks again to Dr. Kelly Deal from Morris Animal Foundation. Great stuff there. I hope you've enjoyed today's show and has learned as much as I have. Make sure to tune in next week for Pet Lover Geek. We're going to dig into some of the newest tech that's hitting the pet market. So excited to dig into that. So we will see you next time, pet lovers, on Pet Lover Geek on Voice America's Variety Channel. Thank you for tuning in this week for Pet Lover Geek. 
Please join your host, Lori and Clemens, for another edition next Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go grab your best friend and take them out and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 